This week, we are in our third week of our series that we started six weeks ago. Um, if, for being honest, this is our third week. We started it six weeks ago. It's based on John 15, and it's about abiding. It's abide, a life rooted in Christ. And in that first week, we talked about abiding in Jesus, and apart from Him, we can do nothing. And my notes say last week, that's not true. Three weeks ago... We talked about abiding in love, which was just an expansion of the text immediately following that first. But there's so much more to abiding in Jesus. There's so much more to the, to the vine analogy. He is the vine and we are the branches. And the second area we must learn to abide in Jesus is an extension of this, of this analogy. The branch only lives if it's connected to the vine. If you cut it off, the life-sustaining power of the vine is cut off from it. And it no longer exists. In reality, the life of the vine is the life of the branches. And Paul sums this up fairly well in the book of Galatians in the second chapter. Paul has been arguing for and defending his gospel. And he says there, starting in verse 19 of chapter 2, For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the freedom to come here and worship today. Father, take this time. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. Such poetic language, and, and sometimes we kind of miss it. Sometimes in cases like this in the Bible, we read it and we think, oh yeah, I know that. Especially if we've been in church for a while. There are certain passages that we read and we just become accustomed to and we go, yes, yes, you're right. I've been crucified with Christ. There, there's something different. But we don't sometimes dig in. We don't really look at what's going on. Paul has been defending his gospel. I mean, you have to think about this. He had, every time he would go to a town first, he would talk to the Jews, and then he would move to the Gentiles. He would walk in to make a relationship. And of course, by this point in his ministry, you have those people known as Judaizers who are coming in saying, but you have to also do this to be saved. You can be saved through Jesus, but you need to be circumcised. You can be saved through Jesus, but you need to follow this feast or this festival. You can be saved through Jesus, but there's other things that need to happen if you're truly going to be a follower of God. And so here, Paul has said we have freedom from the law. So, so how can he claim, these people ask, that people don't need to be circumcised? How can he claim that they don't have to observe the feasts? How can he claim they don't have to do the ceremonial requirements? What is it about this gospel and this life that he's talking about that nullifies those things that have for so long made people right? Well, the first thing we see here is that the only way into new life is a legal death. Now you're going, what? I'm still alive. Yeah, 
Paul was still alive, yeah? But Paul is looking at the law. Paul isn't simply throwing out the baby with the bathwater. He's not simply going, well, Jesus replaced all that, we're good. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, what I am claiming, I am claiming legally. I am claiming by the law. What I say is actually, in fact, part of the law. And so because it's part of the law, what I'm saying, it fulfills the law. The funny thing about a legal claim is they have to be proven. I served on a jury once in my life. Worst experience of my life. But I would do it again. It was a, an adverse possession case. You know what adverse possession means? Adverse possession is the law in Texas that says that you can lose land that was technically yours if someone else squats on it for a while. And for an adverse possession claim to happen, you, you have to be able to prove that they didn't do these things or they had to prove that they did do these things. And because I didn't own land in the county, I was the foreman. <laughs> And it was bad. This little old lady came in here and she gave her testimony. She was almost 90. And her and her husband, 70 years ago, had built fence in the river bottom land. And she had done all these things and she had all these memories and there was all this stuff that to her, the land was hers. Unfortunately, there was no deed on that portion of the land. And a quick thinking Oklahoma lawyer sold it to somebody without her knowing about it. And being that she was, wasn't going out there all the time anymore because of her age, she didn't know that. And so she had to prove two things, that she had a legal claim to the undeeded river property, that she had given him notice on time, and in different cases, it's either three, five, or ten years. And three, that he had not made significant improvements. And when you get in the jury room, you're not allowed to sit there and go, well, but I, because this was tried. One of the guys go, well, I knew her husband. It doesn't matter. Here's the stuff in front of you. The question says yes or no. And unfortunately, we had to come back and say, well, he has a legal claim. Legal claims have to be proved. When Paul stood there and said, this is what's happening, he says, I'm doing this legally. Because Paul's argument here has three points as well. He says, A, the law was supposed to bring life. The law was supposed to bring life, right? The law was one of those things that it was supposed to be what connected you to God. And even today, when we look back at the law there found in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we all kind of go, I am so glad I don't have to follow that anymore. Because it seems like it's just this overbearing thing. And Paul says the law was supposed to bring life. But because of sin, number two, the law could only bring death. And so, number three, he says, death fulfills and completes the requirements of sin and the law because once you're dead, you're no longer required to follow the law. You can't speed if you're dead. You can't break into someone's house if you're dead. Once you are dead, the law no, matter, no longer pertains to you. It doesn't matter to you anymore. It's one of those things where people have always asked me, well, what, what do you think about your funeral? I don't care. I ain't going to be here. <clears throat> Doesn't matter to me. Paul says, the death of Jesus for me on the cross fulfills 
the law. It fulfills everything that needs to happen. I have been crucified with Christ. Through the law, he says, I died to the law. What I am claiming is legal. What I am claiming gives me a way to be separated from these requirements. I have fulfilled the law through the death of Jesus. But he doesn't claim this freedom, this separation, for the sake of immorality. Usually when we try to find loopholes in the law, it's not because we want to do good things. We look at the instructions for our 1040 and we go, well, that's kind of vague. How can I push that a little bit? Well, the speed limit sign says 65, but everybody around me is going 75, so maybe I should just keep up. That's the law. We're always trying to fumble the law for our own sake. But Paul didn't do that. Paul literally says that the old self dies so that the new self can live for God. The old self dies so the new self can live for God. I mean, what happened with the Jews there until, until Jesus' time? It wasn't that they didn't want to follow God. It's they became so focused upon the rules that they forgot about the relationship. That's what happened to the Jews. They got so focused in Jesus' time on following these rules that they forgot about the spirit of the law. When Jesus came to anybody who was standing up, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, any of those people, he would come to them and he would be like, but that's not what Daddy meant. That's not what God meant. Yes, the law says this to the letter, but that's not how it's supposed to be read. He said there's something more here. The legal death that Paul talks about gives us the freedom to focus on the relationship rather than the rules. It's not that the rules aren't important anymore. I, 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 would, I, would, I would take a bet, shouldn't be in church, but I would take a bet that most of us in here would agree that thou shalt not kill is still a good rule of all. It's not that the rules aren't important. It's not that the rules don't mean anything. It's not that they're not a guidance to us. It's that we can focus on our relationship. There's no checklist anymore. There's no, if you do this, you're in, and if you do that, you're out. I, I don't know where we get that from, but we do. How many people are like, how many people go, oh, I don't know how God's going to forgive me from this time. This, this time. This time's bad. But there's no checklist. <laughs> the greatest lie the devil has ever gotten people to believe is that they can do something to earn heaven. Well, I'm a good person. Good for you. It won't get you there. You cannot fulfill the law. You, you can't make the requirements. Only one person ever could. You can't get there. The only thing that gets us there is that reliance on the Father rather than the rules that He created. Now, one of the things I love about Paul is his seeming ability to hear the objections before they happen. <laughs> I mean, you can hear it. But Paul, you're not dead. Right? That's, that's what he says. I doubt the law. I can legally do this. Paul, you're not dead. You're 
you're still standing here. You're still talking to us. You're still writing these letters. What in the world is going on? This is where I love the King James Version. Because there it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lived in. Nevertheless, I live. Ooh, I love that word. Nevertheless. It was a long two weeks. Nevertheless, I was blessed. Woo. This last year was horrible. Nevertheless, God has made himself shown. That word changes everything. Nevertheless, Paul says, you're right. I'm not dead. But I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, here I am standing. Because God took my sin. A believer's entire identity is wrapped in the death and resurrection of Christ. Everything we are is wrapped inside that. Nothing else. Doesn't matter what t-shirts I wear. Doesn't matter what music I'm listening to. Doesn't matter what bumper stickers are on my car. It doesn't matter. What matters is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. And then Jesus became the sacrifice. And then Jesus died on the cross. And then Jesus rose from the grave. We're crucified with Christ. The old self, the old requirements, the old way were taken away and justified in His death. And the life we now live is His life given back through our faith. We die. Our old self is gone. When we have baptisms, that's what we are showing. The reason why Baptists baptize by immersion in water is it paints a picture. You are buried in baptism. The old self has died. The old self is gone. The life of Christ has now filled me. And when you come up, your life is different. Jesus has changed you. As Shadow said a while ago, the Spirit has come. And things are radically different. We cannot separate who we are from whose we are. That should have been a point time. We cannot separate who we are from whose we are. We are Christ. Our life is new, but the life we live is still lived in the flesh, in the body. That makes it rough. The funny thing about flesh is it fails. It's frail. It's hard to whip into shape. We still have to deal with brokenness. We still have to deal with sin. We still have to deal with disappointment and with failure. We're living in a broken world. And sometimes our flesh hurts. Last night, I, if, you're on, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw a post I made last night, possibly a little bit, how, how can, uh, how can 
dealing with a defiant episode in a five-year-old would be worse than wrestling a six-foot-three, 200-300-pound bear. Whew. Last night took everything that I had because, you know, you ever seen The Exorcist? <laughs> I mean, whew, was, she was mad. She said some things to me and finally had to use the dad voice several times. And at one point she said she was scared of me. I just walked in the other room and cried. And cried and cried. Because my flesh couldn't handle it. It had to happen in that moment. But in our flesh, we have to deal with those things. In our flesh, we have to feel that. Just because we aren't under the curse of the law doesn't mean we're perfect. How often have you had the if I could just attitude? <laughs> if I only had blank, it would all be good. If I could only just reach this goal, everything would fall into place. And then it seems like the goalpost keeps moving. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The goalpost is always changing. We often equate things as the total answer that aren't. How many people have spent years thinking, if I could just find the perfect man or woman, I would be good? Huh. <clears throat> then you find them. Let's face it. Um, when we date, we put our best foot forward. Then you get married, and uh, in our culture, they sometimes have unrealistic expectations. One or the other isn't as perfect as we thought. What we thought was going to be a, a, a fairy tale is now a professional wrestling storyline. Right? He leaves the seat up. She puts the toilet paper roll on wrong. <laughs> When I, when I do premarital counseling, I, 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 the first thing I say to couples is, decide now which way the toilet paper roll goes on. And they say, what? And I say, it's not the big things that tear apart a marriage. It's the little stuff. It's the little things that we think are so important. But no marriage is perfect. People aren't perfect. I mean, no matter where you stand on pro wrestling, if you just watch it for the product it is, you can find entertainment. The same is true of marriage. If we work at it and see it for what it is, two imperfect people trying to be one, we can find the enjoyment of what it is rather than the disappointment for what it isn't. <laughs> this was written three weeks ago, so... <clears throat> I actually have a little note here that says, like, two grandparents built a snowman. That's what happens with Christianity. Somehow we sell this perfect, this picture of perfection in Jesus. If you just have Jesus, everything will be great. That's true, but it might be a bit unrealistic for some people. 
Great might not be the word some would use to describe what believers go through. But we live in the flesh. Things happen in the flesh. Now, we still live in the flesh, but we live by faith. We don't see circumstances for what is in front of us. We see circumstances through our relationship. That mountain doesn't look like a mountain anymore. It looks like a molehill. That, that trial in front of me looks like something I can walk through. These things we see through our relationship. We don't fade during the bad times because we have faith that the one who gives us this new life wants us to be joyful. He wants us to know that things are okay in the end. And it doesn't matter what it looks like here. We believe this because He has proven His love. We know that no matter what, God loves us. Nothing can change that. Nothing. He died on a cross. I can't fathom the ability to do that. But the fact that he did gives us his hope. It says we can go through anything. So what does this mean for abiding in the life of Jesus? Well, new life gives us the freedom to focus on our relationship rather than the rules. Are there lots of rules in that book? There sure are. But there are three that Jesus labels as important. Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love each other as I have loved you. Did you know that if we spend our time focusing on those three things, the rest of it falls into place? <laughs> if we just did that, thou shalt not steal, wouldn't be an issue. If we just did that, thou shalt not covet, wouldn't be an issue. Everything else would fall into place. Everything would happen like it needs to happen. Also, we need to know that new life allows us to rest in His love rather than wrestle with the world. It's, it's funny because there's a, there's a theme running in this church right now with y'all. Y'all don't know it, but I'm going I'm to reveal it right now. I've had, I don't know if I can count on one hand or two anymore, people come up to me and say, I know you have to be frustrated <laughs> with pastor in the middle of a pandemic because things just don't come back like they need to. I, I've had probably a dozen or so people come and say that to me. But I, I I'm not frustrated because I'm not going to wrestle with the world. I'm going to rest in God. Amen. There's no need to be frustrated with things that I don't have any control over. There's no control for me in that. I can take control over one thing. I believe in a God who has it all in his hands. I believe in a God who loves me so much it doesn't matter what else is going on because He's going to take care of it and make it well. I believe in a God who is so powerful He can just put His finger down to whatever He wants to do. And He's going to bring who He wants to bring. And He's going to keep away who He's going to keep away. But I don't believe He's going to keep people away forever. I believe the things are fixing to open up. We're going to see some people that have already told me they're going to be back here pretty soon. We're going to see them back. We see some things that are happening, some, some, some doorways that God's opening. 
And so we don't have to wrestle with the world. When the world tells us everything's bad, I can say that I serve a God who's good. I don't have to worry about that stuff. And you know, I am going through the... This pregnancy is hard for me. Her belly is almost as big as mine now. But it's hard for me. Because with Micah, we had an ultrasound every month for the first three months. Every two weeks for the next three months, and then she was born, so it really didn't matter. But you know, she came at 36 weeks, so we didn't get to the every week thing. We had ultrasounds all the time. Now we get to go through a normal pregnancy. Never happened before. And so Carrie is so tired of me saying, Are you feeling any move? Are you feeling any move? Are you counting? Are you feeling any move? And she's like, stop! I'm trying to rest in Jesus with this, but I need some confirmation. Our new life allows us to see beyond circumstance into God's providence. You know, we've been complaining, whether we like it or not, for about a year now, right? Because this is the longest time, right, of the pandemic. Do you realize that Israel wandered for 40 years? Now, I'm not saying it's going to be 40 years. But a year isn't as much as 40 at work. He's doing things. Things are fixing to happen that we're not even seeing. I know that. I, I can feel it in my bones. I know that God is moving and something's happening and something's whipping up and we're going to be shocked when it happens. We're all sitting here going yes and amen, but I'm telling you, we're going to be shocked when it happens. God's fixing to do something. He's fixed to drop something that we're going to go, what in the world? Because we can look past circumstances into His providence. I don't think God planted this church here for us just to sit here and, and, and languish. I don't think that's what He's planned. I think He has something greater planned and that plan is coming together and God is doing something and He is moving. I keep having the Narnia movie in my head right now. Aslan is on the move. God is moving. He is fixing to do something. He is fixing to move in a way that we could never expect. Mark my words. It's happening. It's coming. But we have to abide in His life. We have to know that our life is His life. We can't live apart from Him and expect Him to do great things. Which can't. We have to live in it and with it. And him moving in us and us moving with him. Maybe this morning you've been floundering. Maybe you've been just going, oh my goodness, I, I can't handle this anymore. God's ready. God's ready to move. He's ready to move. He just wants you to step forward and say, okay. Because he wants to take this 
He wants to do stuff in your life that you can't even imagine. Maybe this morning you've had a hard time resting in Jesus. It's so easy to be stressed out in this world, right? So easy to be stressed. You turn on the TV, nothing but negative stuff on the news. You look on the internet, same thing. It's hard to trust in Jesus when you look at that, but now's the time to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. No matter what, I know that you're breaking down doors and you're fixing to do some things and I'm ready. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Maybe you've never said, I need Him in my life. And you're not in the vine yet. You're not a branch. Now's the time. Now's the day. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.